The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! We're back for another episode of They Must Be Destroyed on Site. Uh, the returning Daniel Harper is with me uh, this week. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Sorry, I've been missing. Yeah, we haven't uh, we haven't recorded in about a month uh, together. Um, I've been avoiding you. Yeah, I, I I assumed as much. It's one of those things. I was just like, oh fuck that guy. <laughs> um, we're going to. Be... I'm, I'm only going to be on to talk about artsy fartsy movies from now on. You know, oh, I see. Okay. So, well, uh, next only German expressionist films from the '30s. That's all I oh, talk. About. Okay. Well, well, I got a couple of those, or, or we could do a Fellini month next month, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, avant-garde cinema from uh, um, Andy Warhol. You know. Oh, all right, all right. Let's, uh, you know, if it isn't, if it wasn't made in Eastern Europe during the Soviet bloc era, and if it uh, is not, and if it is subtitled, I will not watch it. It has to be unsubtitled. For me to know, sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it, it's all gonna look like Worker and Parasite from uh, The Simpsons there. That right, exactly. Say. You know that that's all. That those are the kinds of films I talk about now. Um, <laughs> that's it. It's great. Um, so we're gonna go through a, a few different things here. Um, we're gonna be catching up on some business here. We do have a movie to review. This is going to be the first episode of Zombie Month. Nazi zombie month, to be specific. Very um, specific zombie month, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a, a sort of a small subgenre of the of the Nazi, um, the Nazi genre, or the the Nazi genre. No, the zombie genre. I suppose it could be a sub sub uh, genre of the Nazi film genre as well. Yeah, no, you could you could depends on how you want to classify it, how you want to divide those up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but later on, uh, Daniel and I are going to be reviewing. The classic Zombie Lake. Is <laughs> uh, classic in quotes there? It's, uh, you know. Yeah, air quotes uh, for those yeah. people listening at home. Uh, um, but before then, we do have some a little bit of housekeeping to do. Um, we were given a question about a month ago. So, um, and, I, and I did promise that to the person who asked that the next time Daniel and I recorded together, we would give our answer to this question. So, uh, John Critch, it's your lucky uh, episode if you're still listening. <laughs> um, he asked basically what our favorite uh, Jack Nicholson films slash performances were. Uh, and if, if you'd like to uh, start off there, Daniel. Um... Yeah, I sorry, sorry. I've been thinking about this a little bit because, you know, you did kind of say, hey, be thinking about that. And I was like, sure. Um, <laughs> and I kind of have a. You know, you and I are about the same age, or within a few years of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, I kind of first discovered Jack Nicholson. Um, I mean, obviously, Batman, Tim Burton's yeah. 1989 Batman, you know, so so kind of the Joker was kind of that first th- time I, I really um, ran into Jack Nicholson. You know, when I was nine or ten years old, I must have seen that movie. The first time, like, he really made an impression on me was a couple of years later uh, in A Few Good Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, really for me, when I think Jack Nicholson, it's A Few Good Men. And it's not even 
you can't handle the truth. You know, that's kind of the, it's it's the you know I eat breakfast five hundred yards for three thousand. <laughs> you know, um, and the uh, numerous and the the uh, you know horrifying uh, and awesome. You know, until we elect one of those broads president, I guess I'm not going to get a get a blowjob from a superior officer again. You know, <laughs> um, you know ha- had a real uh, impact on me as a as a budding young man. Um, let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, you know, he plays a smarmy and uh, asshole, but mm-hmm. somehow likable at the same time. You know, you think about Colonel Jessup and a few good men. You know, Jessup believes what he's doing is right. Yeah. And um, you totally buy him as that character. I mean, he's the quote-unquote bad guy, um, but, you know, he is, he is a believable bad guy within the world of that uh, movie. And I think that movie is... Uh, I really like it. I really like that movie, but um, it, it, it maybe it hasn't aged as well. Um, it, it's a it's a courtroom drama that's sort of been sort of the uh, sort of the uh, dipstick for or the test for all courtroom dramas since then to some degree because of just that one scene between Cruz and uh, Jessup there. Yeah. I, I mean, everything sort of gets judged on whether it's a derivative of that or if it does something different. And yeah, I, I agree that that's a great character. I, I think, and, and you're you're definitely right. The reason he's um, so fun to watch and almost root for is because he is a villain who's self self assured in what he's doing. Like uh, the best villains are the ones who believe they're right, right? Like right, they're right. the most believable. So. Yeah, and uh, interestingly that, uh, I believe the original play, and I think the film version, was actually written by Aaron Sorkin, who uh, would go on to like do the West Wing and uh, uh, stuff. So, that would make uh, sense. It's it's interesting how, like, and in fact, you even, it's worth re-watching that movie. I've actually seen that movie, like, probably 20 or 30 times over the course oh, yeah. of my life, just because, you know, it used to be on, like, TNT all the time. And, yeah. Um, you know, but... Uh, so I, you know, I, I really can't quote <laughs> bits of that movie verbatim um, <laughs> because I've seen it so many times. But uh, it's interesting how, you know, you watch it now and you see like, oh, that's that guy who was in all those Aaron Sorkin movies, you know. <laughs> um, uh, not only that, but uh, Kevin Bacon's one of his kind of early. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, kind of serious roles when he was moving away from being the kind of teen heartthrob and becoming more of a like serious actor that wasn't really the first i think jfk was kind of the first time that people took him seriously as an actor but mm-hmm. uh, this was kind of the one of those big moments so anyway i love a few good men and maybe we should review that at some point but uh yeah nicholas's performance is great um sorry um I mean, any uh, particular movies you would like to talk about i have more but you know we should yeah we'll just sort on, of you know, we'll sort uh, of pitch i've got tons of them i was looking through the list and i'm like man there's lots of great <laughs> stuff um one that I would uh, just to just to throw it in just before you say anything because mm-hmm. I want to mention it. Um, there was this 2002 movie called The Pledge. Yes, that's um, that's one I was going to mention. Yeah, directed by Sean Penn mm-hmm. and um, a truly phenomenal, like epic performance from Jack Nicholson. And not enough people have seen that movie, so yeah. I just want to throw that one out there. But I'm sorry, I'm I'm dominating this conversation as I normally do. So um, why don't you speak on your own podcast? Yeah, it's like you never left. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The the pledge uh, you mentioned that that's that's a great film. It's a very little known film, which is a shame because it's got a really great performance by Nicholson, grounding the whole thing. He he doesn't do his thing that he's sort of like stereotypically. Uh, known for, I guess, where people, oh, he's the menacing guy who overacts and chews the scenery and jumps on people and stuff. Like, it's a very, um, very reserved for Nicholson. 
uh, and it's a very good film about uh, basically obsession. It, I, I don't want to give away the plot too much because actually I think that's probably one we should review at some point too. Yeah. Um, and the less you know about it going in and the, the less you feel wedded to a structure for that mm-hmm. film, I think the more you'll enjoy it. But it's definitely worth seeing. Um, I actually saw that one theatrically, if you can believe it. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, another an, One that comes to mind right away for me, and this is this was actually probably the first performance, um, first or second performance I saw of his, and I probably didn't know it was him at the time, but it was a movie I saw as a kid. Um, the original Little Shop of Horrors, 1960, where he played Wilbur Force, which is where he basically just, it was just a bit part, uh, where he played a, a, a masochist who enjoyed getting his teeth pulled out in the dentist's office. <laughs> yeah, no, he he is, you know, it's amazing to see some of these guys before they were big, you know. Because mm-hmm. that was, what, 59? Uh, 60. 60. 60, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, he looks like a baby. <laughs> yeah. And it, that that was back when he was um, like a lot of people who went on to become very very famous working for uh, Roger Corman and his uh, his studio. Um, they either started out as actors or they started out as someone behind the scenes or directors or whatever, and went on to do stuff of their own. And Nicholson was definitely one of the more notable sort of graduates, if you if you could call that a school, because in a way it was how a lot of these people learned their craft and developed their uh, art. And I mean, Nicholson's not just an actor; he's he's uh, written, directed, produced all that stuff. So I was reading his Wikipedia page this, this afternoon, just as I was thinking about this. Um, apparently he started out like he was going to get hired as an animator for Disney studios. Mm-hmm. And then like said, Oh fuck that. I want to be an actor and then became an actor. So yep. um, just another kind of like, I, I did not know that that is interesting, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, the, in, a, in an alternate universe, Jack Nich- there is no Jack Nicholson, the actor. He's just known as like, a great animator, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like imagine if like uh, Jack Nicholson was like some alternate universe Brad Bird or something, you know? Uh, like, yeah, uh, he's he's the he's the guy who uh, he's the guy who drew all those Daffy Duck cartoons. He's the, he's, the, right. he's, he's the guy who established Daffy Duck. Right. No, so, sorry, that's just like a, a complete aside. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one that I would uh, just like to throw in here. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, again, I forget about this, but uh, The Departed uh, from 2006, mm-hmm. the uh, Scorsese uh, remake of Infernal Affairs, um, yep. which both of those movies are excellent, um, both yep. Infernal Affairs and The Departed, for, for very different reasons, I think. Yep. But uh, Nicholson's performance, I mean, that is, you know, to be like this kind of legendary actor at the kind of end of his career and to play that character, yeah. uh, you know, this kind of skeezy crime boss like you know playing with dildos and shit uh, <laughs> you, you've got to like uh that's pretty amazing I, I love how raw and how um not jack nicholson he is in that movie just how kind of uh uh organic that, and, that performance how dirty it is you know yeah, like, uh, just, he feels like a man made of um slime you know like, yeah like like his his whole his whole persona in that is just dripping disgusting evil to to so many different degrees and and it and i mean it, it's almost a performance where he outdoes his past uh uh repertoire um 
where it's like you didn't think you could see anything new from Jack Nicholson, and he kind of brings a little bit new to to that performance. Like it's like, well, oh wow, there's that Jack Nicholson that maybe no one's ever seen before. You know, like absolutely. And it kind of reminds me at the same time where also he sort of brings back a bit of that, I guess, that mojo that maybe people thought he lost for so many years where he's just doing stupid romantic economy, uh, com- comedies and stuff and being the cranky old guy that eventually everyone learns to love and all that shit. Um, he, he sort of sort of reminded me of the uh, the cameo performance from Robert De Niro in American Hustle where he just all of a sudden is like, oh, there's the old Robert De Niro again. Right. You know, no, this... I, I get that, yeah, where it's just like, oh, no, I get that. Um, I actually like, uh, I think you're thinking of the, uh, what was it? Uh, I forget that Nancy Myers movie. Something's got to give. Mm. Um, um, yeah, I think that's what it is, yeah. Yeah, no, um, I've seen that. It's it's better than it had any right to be in some ways. <laughs> but uh, he's good in it, you know. Yeah. I, I think that he did kind of get the, uh, you know, he does. He he never fell into self parody in quite the same way that, uh, you know, you mentioned De Niro, and De Niro was explicitly parodying himself mm-hmm. for a long time and just kind of doing like, oh, we're just going to do goofy roles for a while. Um, I don't think Nicholson quite pushed that far in that direction but uh you know there, there's no like adventures of rocky and bullwinkle on jack <laughs> you know yeah and, um, and, resume. And, it, and it helped that nicholson probably only made a handful of films in the last 10 15 20 years whereas de niro has been pretty much working straight through like just yeah. doing role after role right so i mean you think about nicholson you know in the 90s kind of when i discovered him you know because well, that was when I was old enough to understand who he was mm-hmm. um, in the early 90s, you know, you think like he was in a bunch of stuff in that kind of period between like 85 and 95 that was kind of forgettable and he was kind of that working actor, that kind of movie star. Yeah. And, you know, once he stopped kind of being able to, to pull in the crowds like that, he kind of just started just doing the stuff he wanted to do and he didn't act very much. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I and I appreciate that. I, I like the fact that we don't have this big, you know, stack of like, oh, and those are the shitty Jack Nicholson <laughs> movies. You know, I mean, there are some bad ones, um, and I think there are some that get um, overrated. Um, there, there are a couple of ones that are considered classics that I think are are, are not my favorites. But yeah. um, uh, another film that I really liked from him. Um, and we're just, you know, this is just, you got to mention it, uh, Chinatown. Yeah, Chinatown, obviously, yeah. Um, you can't, uh, you can't not talk about Chinatown when you talk about Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, the, uh, the whole, uh, uh, she's my mother, she's my daughter, um, <laughs> moment, uh, it turns out Jack Nicholson was raised by a woman who w- he was told was his mother, but really was his sister. Yeah, that's right. Um, I read that in a Playboy interview way back when. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he like he just came, he discovered it like late in life. Like no no, no that was your sister. I was like what? <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting there. Yeah, um, uh, that that's a great film. Um, I'd even say the sequel is worth watching. The Two Jakes from nineteen ninety. I haven't seen the Two Jakes. I've been meaning to for a long time, but I, I have not uh, you know sat down and watched it. But, it, it, uh, it it's highly inferior, but it's still a decent detective film well chinatown is like one of the top 10 yeah films of its kind ever made you know um 
if Roman Polanski ever needed like that one film that like he will go down in history for, it's probably Chinatown, you know. If 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 indeed in twenty years he'll go down in history for making films and not his personal life. <laughs> you know, I where I'm going to draw the line is anything that happened before he raped that girl, I consider it okay to watch and appreciate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Anyway, that's a, that's another debate, but yeah. uh, <laughs> you know. Um, any other films you feel like you want to kind of pull out there and well, I I can just, um, I'll just cite the shining as an obvious one. I won't say much about it. Um, what, what is there to say about the shining except yes, it's, uh, you know, Nicholson in particular is genius. Some, some people criticize it specifically because, uh, oh, it's so different from King's book because in King's book, uh, the main character, Jack Torrance, uh, it's a gradual descend into, uh, madness. Whereas the very first scene you see Jack Nicholson is you kind of get the feeling that the, the guy's crazy. Uh, right. uh, but, um, it works for Kubrick's film, uh, especially when you get to the very end of the film and it starts opening up some even wider questions when you see him in the picture or in in the end there in the hotel. Um, I, I'm not going to go into it too much <laughs> right, right now. Right, right, yeah. But, uh, but that one, um, I would say he's pretty damn good in The Postman Always Rings Twice from 1981, which is a remake of a classic uh, film noir. Um, I actually haven't seen that one. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty good. Um uh, I, I won't get into it again. I'll just and I'll just move to uh, the only other one really on my list is about Schmidt from two thousand and two, um, and I and I just you know I, I just got done saying oh he, people sort of criticize his uh, where he just became the cranky old man and stuff and oh that's Jack Nicholson let's laugh at him because he's a cranky old man in these comedies and stuff. Um, in this one, it's a bit different. I mean, I think this film's maybe a bit overlooked as well, where he's playing a very, very minimalist performance of a very meek man who's basically done nothing in his entire life. And after his wife dies and he retires, um, he decides, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go around and do some stuff. And Yeah, no. Um, that's Alexander Payne, I believe, directed that one. Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, no... Uh... Yeah, great film, great performance. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you got any more on your? Uh... Um, not really. I'm I'm kind of looking through here. There's nothing else that I feel like I just have to like you know uh, put out there. Um, you know, everybody knows a lot. You know, there's there's a lot of great stuff out there. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't feel like I really need to have anything to say about Witches of Eastwick, for instance. <laughs> you know. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I feel like we kind of covered that pretty well, at least, you know, the ones that, that I feel like I would like to uh, really highlight, uh, I feel good about. Okay, cool. Um, I hope that was satisfactory for you there, uh, Mr. John Critch. Um, we should talk about more actors, I think, uh, actors and actresses, you know, because uh, I think this is fun. I yeah, like this, you know? I, I agree. Uh, we'll, we'll try to incorporate it more into... Uh... Before we uh, do any reviews on episodes, I think it'd be good. Yeah, it's idea. a good it's a good warm up too for us. Sorry, behind the scenes podcasts. Yeah, you know. <laughs> this is the, this is the magic, folks. You're getting a little peek into the magic right now. How the magic happens. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, uh, I was I was gonna I did ask you before we start recording if there was anything you'd seen recently. Um, unless you can think of something, basically you said no. You haven't. You've been busy with other activities as of late. <laughs> I've had classes and work. I worked a lot of like twelve to fourteen hour days. Yeah. So, uh, and then I have my personal life, which we're not going to get into too deeply here. But uh, you know, I. I Watching TV has not been, or watching movies has not been high up on my list of priorities. Let's put it mm-hmm. um, so I haven't seen a lot lately. Uh, I have seen some recent uh, films. Um, I, I watched the uh, interview on Netflix. Uh, the uh, um, oh, the the Seth Rogen. Yeah, Seth, Seth Rogen. Yeah, the, yep. the you know the movie that like once people saw it. <laughs> mm. Sorry, you've seen it. I haven't. So please continue. It wasn't bad. You know, it was it was actually kind of funny. Um, it, uh, it's the lesser of the, um, James Franco, Seth Rogen films where they're paired together. It's, it's definitely the lesser of all those ones. Um, but it's actually fairly funny and it sort of thematically, uh, tonally, it, it fits in with, uh, the previous films they've done together. Uh, this is the end and pineapple express. Uh, uh, it's very, very much dick and fart joke kind of stuff for quite a bit of it but it's also uh very bloody and violent at times but you know play to comedic effect and i actually found it kind of kind of entertaining it it was enough where you know if it came on tv i'd watch it again so that's awesome that's that's about the highest praise i've heard anyone say about that film (laughs) (laughs) if it came on tv i'd watch it again sure yeah yeah um i i watched uh the Aaron Eckhart uh, horror film that uh, quickly disappeared from theaters, I Frankenstein, from, I think it was just this year or last year it came out. Um, absolutely terrible. No one should ever <laughs> bother watching it. I mean, if if you watched Van Helsing and thought that was the worst fucking sort of action slash horror movie you've seen in the longest time based on sort of classic universal monster characters, then uh, you would probably felt like the entire world has fallen away after watching this one because it's it's just pathetic um Aaron Eckhart's great in it by the way he's he's really good but the entire movie is just bullshit uh there's like they just basically create this story around Frankenstein and the least or Frankenstein's monster I should say and the least interesting story they could possibly create around Frankenstein's monster um it, it feels like a ripoff of the sort of underworld films, those vampire versus werewolf films. Because uh, in this one, basically, you have uh, gargoyles versus uh, fucking vampires, um, or demons, actually. And the the gargoyles look like third-rate CGI uh, test uh, models for the orcs and trolls in Peter Jackson's uh, Lord of the Rings films. And the uh, demons all look like uh, stuff that Buffy the Vampire Slayer would have fucking killed without thinking about it, right? <laughs> right. So it, it's it's a terrible movie. Don't waste your time on it if anyone was considering it. I don't think too many people were, but just so you know. Um, another one I watched, uh, and this is one... Actually, I hope you watch at some point, Daniel. It's it's on Netflix, uh, honestly, just because I want someone else's opinion on it. Um, it's called Barbarian Sound Studio. 
it's it's it sounds interesting. It's starring Toby Jones, uh, who's an excellent I, actor. I'm down. <laughs> That's um, it. That's all you had to say. It's it's a very it's a very moody, atmospheric film about a British sound engineer who goes to Italy for a job in the Barbarian Sound Studio, uh, basically doing the 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 uh, music and sound and stuff for uh, an Italian horror film. Um, and, and, and the cool thing about it is, is it's a movie sort of directed at film geeks, uh, like you and me, especially, mm-hmm. especially ones who are aware of how they used to make films in Italy, where, um, they would record all the sound after the film was shot or even before, before the film was shot, but they wouldn't be actually be recording on set, um, because that's just the way they did it back then in Italy, like, cause you would always have people... Uh, building sets, breaking down sets while they were filming films. So, I mean, you couldn't record sound in that environment. And plus, it was kind of cheaper to do it this way, too. But um, right. but it, it, it's a very surreal film. Um, it actually kind of... It, it's hard to explain. Uh, it, it feels like the main character is losing his mind um, as he goes through the film, where suddenly the sort of... Not even the film in his real life sort of merges. It's more like the sounds of the film and his real life sort of merge and, um, it sounds like blowout, but like with a little bit more surrealistic edge or something. That could be. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I just, I, I hope, I hope you watch at some point so I can get your opinion on it. Cause uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm still not sure if I really, really like it or just sort of like it because there's so much really good sort of film geek kind of stuff that, um, that I really do like, like it, it looks well, maybe, great. Maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll make it a priority to like try to sit down and watch that. Maybe we can like do a little ten minutes on it in a, in a future episode. That'd be good. That'd be good. Because um, it, it, it's it's a great looking film, uh, a well acted film, and it it is it is an, it is a bit of an eye opener. I, I was really impressed with it. Uh, I just I'm just not sure if it uh, ends on a very on a very satisfying note, but. Um, the only other, well, two other new ones I watched. Um, I saw the remake of the Town of Dreaded Sundown, and <laughs> how, the, how was that? It was good. It was actually pretty good. Um, awesome. It sort of falls in, oh, excuse me, it sort of falls into the um, sort of the genre of like the the scream films and the mm-hmm. I know what you did last summer kind of thing because it, it sort of has like you know that really sort of overly complicated plot with red herrings and stuff going on, but. Man, they did a really good job on it. Like the effects work is top notch. Uh, it, it's creepy as hell. Um, probably the only real big problem with the film is that it can't decide if it's uh, a remake, an homage, or some sort of meta statement on the original film. And also, because it recreates the events of uh, the actual film, you basically know what's going to happen as far as the kills and stuff go. Uh, you, you, you see everything coming. So, um, so in that way, it's a bit of a letdown, but it's actually worth checking out. It's, it's not, it's not the uh, crap fest everyone thought it was going to be. So interesting. No, definitely not a crap fest. Yeah. That's a, a stunning praise. From uh, that, that's a ringing endorsement considering some of the movies I like. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Um, the other, another one I saw that's uh, more recent, uh, It was it's uh, called Joe, uh, starring Nicolas Cage. Say what you will about most of the stuff Nicolas Cage does these days. Uh, this was really great, great performance from him really grounded performance where he basically becomes a father figure for this uh, poor kid who's um, 
essentially providing for his family because his father is a desperate alcoholic um, and his mother is basically an enabler. So it's a really, I don't want to give too much away on that one. It's just a really, really great film. Uh, I was really, really impressed. I, I was kind of expecting, oh, we're going to get the uh, Nicolas Cage over overacting, going full, full tilt kind of thing. And he actually sort of reins it back quite a bit. And he's, he only, you know, he only really bursts out with emotion when it's appropriate in the film and I was actually really impressed with it so it's it's worth checking out for people who might have been uh, a little hesitant because oh shit Nicolas Cage am I going to get fucking the remake of the Wicker Man again or some shit like that <laughs> Right. Yeah. and two other films and uh, so we can finish up here and get into the review um, or actually we got something else to do before the review but um, Night Moves from 1975 which is a Gene Hackman film where he plays a private detective uh, i've seen that one you've seen that one okay yeah. good um i love it uh yeah no it's phenomenal uh, i love how it skewers the detective genre how it basically presents a guy who presents himself as a sort of a, a classic noir sort of detective and it leaves him basically totally incapable of dealing with the modern world he's basically playing catch up throughout the entire film he, he does not know what the fuck's going on and honestly even the viewer doesn't know exactly the entire story of, of what's going on but that's actually kind of the point of the whole film it's um you, you can't use the traditional methods that you see noir uh, detectives use to uh, put a case together because in real life that shit doesn't really work all that well. Um, <laughs> and then the only other one from 1973, uh, The Seven Ups, uh, starring uh, Roy Schreider. That Fuck. that is on my list to one day watch, but no, I know exactly which film that is, mm -hmm. um, and I'd love to see it someday. Uh, it's a film that gets overlooked because of uh, Bullet and the French Connection, but mm -hmm. uh, it's awesome. Uh, it's got better. It's got a better car chase scene than fucking Bullet or the French Connection. Uh, I'll say that right now. Um, and I, I kind of hated myself for saying it too after watching it because I was, I was convinced Bullet was better in that regard. But it, this actually one ups Bullet as far as I'm concerned. And basically, uh, Roy Scheider's a uh, somewhat dirty cop. Not not quite dirty, but they they bend the rules. He's part of a special squad uh, that goes after uh, high profile criminals, um, and his his squad basically gains way too much attention from some of the criminal element, and some of them start getting picked off. Um, really, really great film, and essentially, uh, Roy Schreider plays uh, sort of the same character he played in uh, French Connection. Uh, essentially, pretty much carbon copy because it. Based the based on the same cop, real life cop, both uh, roles were so. Uh, I think there was a documentary about Seven Ups on the French Connection disc or something like that. Because I remember uh, watching a documentary about this, but I may be completely misremembering. But I know for a fact I watched a documentary about Seven Ups at one point. Ah, cool. Yeah, it might might have been. I I just have a bare bones copy of the French Connection, so it, it might be like like TCM was airing it or something like that. I don't know, but sounds, like sounds I. Right. I have some, like, I have this very clear memory of the 7-Ups, but I've never seen the 7-Ups. It's, mm. it's a weird kind of thing in my head where I'm like, where did I, like, how did I learn this much about that movie? But, you know. Okay. <laughs> um, I remember people were talking about that movie when Roy Scheider died. Um, that was yeah. kind of one of the, you know, one of those, like, touchstones where people would talk about that 
you know, it's kind of one of those unsung jewels, you know, sort of thing. So yeah, uh, yeah, his performance in that, or in the French Connection, or uh, honestly, go to like um, not not even Jaws, but go to uh, Marathon Man. His his performance in that as a spy is fucking excellent. Um, very underrated character actor, as far as I'm concerned. Oh no, no, uh, Scheider was uh, he had a subtlety to him that uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, a lot of people uh, don't. You know, didn't really see. I think that uh, people kind of saw him as this. Oh yeah. Oh, it's that guy. You know. Yeah. Um. But you know, we, we talked about Jack Nicholson earlier, and you, know, you compare him to somebody like Gene Hackman. You know, which mm-hmm. I always kind of put Jack Nicholson and Gene Hackman in the same box in my head. You know, for some reason. Um. You know, who are both very showy. You know, kind of, kind of big. Mm-hmm. You know, Scheider is much more uh, subtle. Much more. Uh, yeah. You, know, you kind of he gets across with just you know an expression, kind of what's going on. Uh. And I think it's, uh, I think he's due a revisit. I think it's one of those things where I think people should rediscover how great he really was. Mm-hmm. Also go like for like all that jazz or something like that. Like right. probably is one of his most well-known ones. Um, the only th- it's funny when you say Roy Scheider, I just think of Sequest DSV. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, child of the nineties again, you know, like that's my first, that's my go-to Roy Scheider reference. And I feel terrible about that, but you know. I, I, you know, and I, I, I loved actually the first uh, season of that show when I yep. was watching it, and then they just basically let the whole fucking thing fall apart. It, just... it, it, it went to crazy town real fast. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, one day I will sit back down and watch that show again. But, uh, man, I haven't even thought about that show in years. <laughs> Sam Roy Scheider, and suddenly my head's immediately, you know... Star Trek Underwater, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, Star you Trek know? Underwater, and then all of a sudden Roy Scheider disappears, and they got fucking Michael Ironside as the fucking captain, yeah. and oh, man. I don't think I watched it that long. I think, you know... Oh, God, they they got ca- they got abducted by aliens and took into some fucking other planet or some oh, shit. Oh, man. And, oh. Uh, but, yeah, yeah that... Uh, well, I, I, you know what that was? That was the X Files influence, you know. <laughs> I think that was even. I think that was even before X Files, wasn't it? Well, the uh, we shouldn't talk about Sequest DSV on the podcast. <laughs> like this, we're way far afield at this point. Yeah. Um, Aren't we uh, supposed to be talking about titties and zombies? Like, come yeah, on. Yeah, I'll. I'll, I'll... Don't bring... make me remember the '90s here. Come on. <laughs> I'll bring it back to one. Uh, we'll do one one more quick thing I want to talk about, and then we'll sure, go sure. right into. Oh no 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 no! It's your podcast, man. I'm just like, man, don't make me think of Sequest right now. Like, let's do this another time. You know, like... um, I'm I'm totally with you on that. Actually, I'm I'm glad you reined me in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I just want to talk about. I got a, a recent uh, album purchase, uh, John Carpenter's Lost Themes. Sure. You you've been you've been masturbating over that for days now. I right? have oh. now. Yeah, I have. Yes. Um. It's uh, it's from Sacred. The case Bones. is all sticky. I know, like it's it's terrible. Uh, I can't even <laughs> open it now. Um, I'm a terrible human being, and I apologize. <laughs> uh, it's it's from Sacred Bones Records. Uh, I think they're just sort of a small indie label. I think out of Brooklyn or someplace like that. Um, they do all kinds of obscure releases like this, mostly on uh, long play uh, records, vinyl records, uh, but they do release CDs as well. Uh, I got the CD version, of course, and uh, it's only thirteen dollars plus sh- shipping and handling, so it's very affordable. That's really, not bad at all. Yeah, uh, although unless you live in Canada, where the shipping sort of goes batshit crazy, but that's beside the point. Uh, 
Nine, nine, nine but who tri- lives in Canada, really? Like, yes, there's, there's only five of us up here, so it's not <laughs> like it's a big problem. And you all know Alan Thick personally, right? We do. He's great. His son's a bit of a dick, but, you know. Um, <laughs> I could have said Dave Foley. That that would have been an even funnier reference. But you know. uh, Dave Foley pretends he's not Canadian anymore. Um, Dave Foley can't enter Canada right now because of uh, he owes child support or uh, something like that. Oh, really? Well, he should yeah, probably. No, I, I listened to his episode of WTF with the Mark Maron podcast. Oh, yeah? And uh, apparently there, there's some deal where, like, he basically drew the wrong judge in mm. like, some custody battle or something. And the judge, like, forced him to uh, pay a certain amount of money every month, which he physically just didn't make. <laughs> like, you know, it's <laughs> like, I'm not on a network show every week anymore. It's not 1994 anymore, you know. Yeah, well. Anyway, no. Sorry. We really shouldn't be. T- if if I cut you off of DSV, you should cut me off of Dave Foley right about now. But. All I got all I got to say is, is no no uh, it's no surprise that he's been doing like celebrity poker fucking shit and like uh, uh, Uwe Boll uh, movies and crap like yeah. that. Um, but anyway, uh, nine tracks on this uh, album, forty seven minutes long. Uh, this is this is essentially a collaboration with John Carpenter, uh, helped by his son Cody Carpenter and his godson Daniel Davies. Um, and actually, Daniel Davies did the music for *I Frankenstein*. So, <laughs> a little reference back to what I was talking about there a few minutes ago. Uh, although, so I can't, how was the music in *I Frankenstein*? I, I honestly don't remember because I was just watching so much shit being splattered on the screen that I couldn't even begin to focus on the music <laughs> that's fair that's completely reasonable yeah uh but this is really great um it, it's essentially the idea behind it is um carpenter imagining songs for movies he never made um and it's it's re- the way it's put together you could actually view this whole album as a sort of a soundtrack for a movie he never made or you can just listen to the individual tracks and the way they're structured um uh, some of them are fairly long pieces where they have different parts to them. So you can sort of sit there and when it gets to a different part, you're like, I can see where if he was making a movie, he could cut that piece out and put it here in the movie. And then he could cut the other piece from the end of it and put it here in this, this part of the movie or whatever. Right. So uh, it works very well. It's, it's very much his typical minimalist style uh, synths, uh, uh, organs, uh, piano, uh, pounding percussion, a lot of uh, repetitiveness, uh, but very, very good. It's it's a really great album just to have on on in on the background playing because you know there's no vocals or anything. It's all instrumental, so you can sit and relax and do something else while you're listening to it. Um, and pretty much all the pieces on it are actually very strong. Like a lot of the stuff really does hold up uh, to the things he was releasing in his movies. Um, I was really impressed, and I th- I think. Uh, Part of the reason he was really interested in doing this is that he, um, at this point, he's basically, you know, the computer technology and stuff today, he's got unlimited tracks to play with. So he can fill out the sound a lot more, and you can actually hear that in this. Like, uh, when you listen to his original soundtracks, as as great as they are, uh, they're very simplistic. Um, but here you can definitely hear some extra layers on, on his stuff, and it works very, very well. I'd, I'd say if anyone's interested, they should they should buy it. Uh, it I, I was I was actually kind of startled about um, how well this stuff would work in any sort of like Italian uh, horror movie, 
from the the seventies or eighties. Uh, his stuff is very reminiscent of that uh, sort of that prog rock uh, synth stuff that you hear from like Goblin uh, when they were doing like the Dario Argento films and even Dawn of the Dead. Just um, just really great. Uh, totally recommend it uh, for anyone who wants to get it. You can just go to Sacred Bones and um, Sacred Bones Records, and you can order it online. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I. Uh... I, I would definitely just want to listen to that, so mm. maybe I'll buy a copy. We'll see. All right. Um, so I guess we'll move on now to um, the main event for the show tonight. And we'll just get rid of this here. Is this the fucking suck fest? This is... <laughs> well, there, there was, they, they hinted at some of that in this film. But, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, this is the film Zombie Lake from 1981 directed by J.A. Laser, which was the pseudonym for Gene Rowland. Some people listening to this might be familiar with who Gene Rowland was or actually still is. I think he's still alive. Um, He's essentially a a French director who is more known for some very uh, artsy-fartsy sort of uh, erotic vampire films. Um, And although it's kind of ironic that uh, this is probably the film he's best known for at this point. And he actually had two roles in this film as well. So he was doing, like, basically double duty on this film. So uh, so, so I looked up nothing about this film. I read no uh, criticism or commentary or history or anything. Mm-hmm. I sat down and I watched it, and I have thoughts. And I have questions for you. Okay. Can we, can we just start, and can I just ask questions? Yes. Okay. So... Is this the work of a frustrated filmmaker trying to make a serious film and having to throw zombies and titties into it? Or is this a film that is ultimately about zombies and titties with uh, some unintended serious subtext? This is uh, a film that was produced by a French and Spanish production company called Eurocene. Um, They specialized in sort of these uh, cheap sexploitation horror films. Um, This was uh, from a sort of an era um, in European cinema where these people were cranking out uh, literally maybe upwards of 20 or 30 films a year uh, at some point, um, doing everything on a a budget. Uh, Gene Rowland was brought into this film because Gene Rowland was available. Um, The original director... Uh, who was going to do this uh, was uh, Jesus Jess Franco, who is also a very well-known uh, exploitation director. Um, but he dropped out, and <laughs> the funny thing about this is he dropped out because apparently there was a dispute over the budget of this film, and that's really funny given most of the stuff he's made in his life Um Apparently, the budget dispute must have been over literally five dollars because <laughs> because if anyone's seen this film, you can see how cheap it is right away. Right. Yeah. This is this is not a pricey film. Uh, no, I, I'm not going to, uh, to to lie about that. But um, I I will say, I mean, for me, like I didn't grow up on um, zombie films, horror films. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up on um, this kind of stuff. But I totally grew up on titty films. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you have a film where the opening sequence is um, 
pretty girl walks up to a gazebo and strips completely naked. This is a film that knows where its heart is. You know, this is a film that knows what it is. You know, um, you know, I, just to just to kind of uh, bring it into a certain amount of uh, you know personal, uh, not even personal stuff, but I think you know you were you were kind of selling this to me as like, oh, Daniel's going to be really offended by this. Um, well, I didn't, sure. I didn't. I didn't think you were going to be offended by it, but I thought you were probably going to be very perplexed by it. <laughs> no, I, it's not even perplexing. Like for me, this is um, you know one part uh, Emmanuel, mm-hmm. um, one part uh, Dawn of the Dead, and uh, you know like a third of a part or something like serious film about like the evil that men do. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the sins of the fathers is it upon the sons. Like, um, and I think it's really interesting that those three things actually kind of work well together. I, I won't say I loved this film, but I, I liked a lot of it. I liked more of it than I thought I was going to like. All right. It. Interesting. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we, we also are going to Oasis of the Zombies, and that's a film that I thought was horrendously boring. Um, mm-hmm. And just, I don't know what, what I'm, I'm going to have to rewatch it. Because I don't know what I'm going to say about it, right. which is why we're not re- recording about that tonight. But um, uh, Zombie Lake, I actually watched, and I'm just kind of like, okay, I, I I'm kind of interested in this. So, um, what do you think of this film, by the way? Um, I fir- when I first watched this, I I uh, I had no idea what I was getting into. I, I I rented this back in I think it was the mid '90s on VHS and. The VHS cover, like the cover of the of the poster and everything, it's really cool. Like it looks pretty interesting. Like, ooh, Nazi zombies! They're in a lake. They're killing people and stuff. That sounds pretty interesting. Put it on. Um, I was just I was watching this and I was like, okay, naked chicks. That's that's really good. Like the opening scene is almost downright pornographic in because it, it's not just showing a little bit it's showing everything because there's these underwater shots like looking straight up at the girl as she's swimming i'm kind of like you know it's doing the jaws thing but doing it like explicitly you know because the jaws kind of has that like the opening of like oh we're gonna go skinny dipping and then wow steven spielberg directed a film where you can kind of see a girl's vagina like that's (laughs) kind of awesome in its own way um, you go, Steven Spielberg. Um, this is the, yeah, we're not even fucking pretending that we're not basically shooting up into this girl's vagina. Yeah. Water. Um, you know, the way I see that is, oh, look, a pretty model got paid for a day's work. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like she's very comfortable. You know, I'm a, I, I definitely consider myself a feminist and I definitely consider myself a sex positive feminist and, and, you know, third wave feminism and all that sort of thing. But, um, or ally, if you mm-hmm. if you prefer, um, because some people get hung up on men calling themselves feminists, and that's fine, I understand. But you know, at the same time, it's kind of like, okay, this this woman is very clearly a model. You know, yeah. Um, this isn't this this is this. You know, if I learn differently, I will I will retract this. This doesn't feel like a um, exploitative situation necessarily. This feels like this is a person who uh, worked very hard on her body to look like this, who was paid to be naked for a few hours on a Tuesday or something, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, What I love about the opening sequence, and I will say this legitimately, is the fact that there is a sign (laughs) um, that basically looks like icky, you know, 
the only way I can describe it is like the way that like an eight year old would have like a uh, a clubhouse. Yeah. And then they would have like a no girls allowed sign or something. <laughs> and it would have like a little stinky face. Um, and then keep out, and that's kind of what that sign looks like. And it's just pointing to the lake. Yeah. And the naked girl just like looks at the sign, kind of looks around, picks it up, and then just tosses it aside. Um, you know, uh, well, that sign was probably my you know uh, of all the things in this movie, that sign stood out to me as, <laughs> as a particular thing of worth of, worth noting. That like there was some production team member who drew that sign. Yeah. Like specifically, like this wasn't there. You know, this isn't like found object footage or anything. This is somebody made that fucking sign, and I think it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, my like back when I first watched it, I was like, okay, I'm I'm cool with the I'm cool with zombies eventually showing up. I'm definitely cool with uh, naked women running around. That's great. So so far this film seems to be firing on all cylinders um but as soon as we get to the lake um it's quite obvious that it's a pond that a river drains into uh and when when you get underwater it's quite obviously a fucking swimming pool (laughs) yeah no no that's very true yeah um honestly you know you see a film like this and it's just kind of like yeah this is basically an excuse to see um zombie gore Mm-hmm. and naked women and i don't really think too much about the production details on that yeah um but you're right it's very clearly uh you know when you see the underwater stuff yeah no that's uh that's that's not a lake or a pond that's very clear water you know there's mm-hmm. chlorine in that water let's just put it that way yeah you see and, and, and i'm kind of conflicted because usually i'm i'm not as picky because it's like hey if you have an excuse to have women get naked in a film and and, you know, just have some schlocky bullshit going on in the background. I'm usually all for it. But something about this film, I don't know what it is. It just, just the total shoddiness of it and every every uh, sort of avenue, every, every sort of corner of the damn thing. Um, it kind of reminded me of, like, some of the later Ed Wood films where he just went full on into like uh, sort of nudie cutie kind of films in, in a way where there were just excuses to have uh, naked women on the screen and they were just very boring otherwise I think that's something about this film just really bored the hell out of me um, sure. and, and when films start to bore the hell out of me I get nitpicky about details um i I, you know and i don't disagree about that in fact you know for me it was not the nudity stuff and the kind of like oh they clearly filmed that in a a swimming pool for me it's the endless shots of uh, zombies walking around aimlessly um towards the middle and end of the film that that kind of did me in in terms of the i just want to fall asleep and watch this sort of thing (laughs) um you know, I, I, I'll admit, you know, this is kind of like the thing I started watching, you know, just kind of like, oh, I'll put it on. And like, oh, look, boobies. Like, that's kind of awesome in the, like, I'm still 13 years old inside kind of way. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, you know, I'm like, okay, so uh, let's pull out my bottle of whiskey and just start drinking a little bit of whiskey. And then, you know, you fall asleep 20 minutes in because <laughs> there's nothing to prevent you from just, like, chugging on that whiskey uh, sort yeah. of thing. Um, I don't know. What did you think of the, I mean, this is the kind of film to where 
you see a female character and you know in like 15 minutes you will be seeing her naked or mm-hmm. at least topless what did you think of the like uh the romantic quote-unquote elements uh, kind of towards the the middle third uh well well here well here's the problem with that main storyline and i don't think i'm giving too much away here where essentially the the story of this fucking abortion of a film is um this little t- this little french town basically um was occupied by uh German soldiers in World War II. Um, the resistance attacked, and basically the town helped out, and they dumped all dead bodies in the lake. And so that's where the zombies come from, of course. So they've risen from the lake to gain revenge on the town. Um, but there's this romance angle where one of the soldiers tried to protect a townswoman uh, during an attack uh, on the town, and of course, they conceive uh, a child in in one little night of passion before the soldier moves on. Um, here's the thing: this movie is obviously set in the 1980s. This, this I was going to mention that, like they say, like oh, it's 1952 or whatever, and I'm like, they didn't have short shorts like that in 1952. Mm-hmm. But you know, um, yeah, no, the the the, the female characters on the. Uh, like the 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 volleyball team or whatever are clearly not um yeah. you know dressed for 1952 or whatever yeah. <laughs> yeah but but yeah so it's it's i mean and the those... big uh the big hair the uh the 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 uh hairspray yeah uh, that that's another sign <laughs> <laughs> i mean period detail was not you know was not present in this film <laughs> yeah i mean i mean they try to i guess they at one point they try to tell you it's in the 1950s but it's obviously 1980s and you go with that, and you see that basically there's this story of the of the undead sort of hero Nazi soldier uh, connecting with his daughter, and his daughter is all of ten years old at the most. Right. So she's obviously not forty something, <laughs> is what she'd probably be in the eighties if this. So that kind of threw me for a loop. Uh, also, the fact that the uh, the only Incredible actor in this film, Howard Vernon, who is actually a fairly well-known Swiss character actor. Uh, he's the mayor in the town. He does not age at all from <laughs> from the, the the flashback scenes where he's part of the resistance, basically helping them kill the Nazi soldiers. He he still looks like seventy or whatever the fuck age he was at the time. So uh, yeah, I don't know what it is, but there there was something about just these inconsistencies that made me not even enjoy the nudity. <laughs> I wasn't even paying that much attention to it, honestly, just because, yeah. um, so, so I do think that there is something to this idea. Um, and you've seen more of the Nazi zombie films than I have, which I've seen barely any. Mm-hmm. So this will be a fun month for me just to get to watch some, you know, shitty zombie movies. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, to, to what, and I, and I kind of bring this up, to the beginning because i do think there's something to this idea of you know you know here in um, i will i will speak for americans and i you know i I assume that canadians can have a similar response to some of this but um you know we kind of think of wars as something that happens over there you know Mm -hmm. like far away like the idea that there was some atrocity that happened 10 or 15 years ago in a war and that's like oh yeah that that pond where the kids go skinny dip you know, like, yeah. oh, yeah, and, you know, um, for me, it feels like there's some kind of potent 
discussion that this film is trying to have, while at the same time just kind of be a stupid zombie movie. Um, with, I will say that the flamethrower at the end is pretty awesome, but there, <laughs> there's not much else awesome about the zombie stuff. And some, uh, you know, some level of uh, yardage of nubile female flesh, which I, mm-hmm. I appreciate. Um, I'll take my porn where I can get it in 1981, thank you. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like, you know, it, what do you think, again, like how seriously am I supposed to take this, I guess? Uh, I, I don't know if anyone can take this seriously. Like, uh, I get the imp- I get the impression that um, there was a story here at some point, mm-hmm. and they basically decide we got to throw more nudity on it and basically forget about the story altogether. And oh, by the way, we don't have a budget to make the story work at all. Uh, we have so little of a budget that our director plays two other roles in this film on screen, right. where he plays a detective and a Nazi soldier, um, and also I. I mean, I, I can see where there's there actually is an interesting story in there somewhere, but they just get so much stuff wrong that it kind of overshadows any any semblance of of a story because they don't they don't focus on it. Like the idea maybe of like a haunted lake uh, that you know some sort of uh, residue of of horrors of war that still lingers on in a town like that. That's that's an interesting angle. It's it's very interesting, especially when you consider. Um, the mayor and some of the townspeople, like their their uh, their role in the deaths of the Nazi soldiers and stuff like that, like it is a very sort of traditional horror trope in a way, you know, of the, the secrets of the past coming back to destroy people who are otherwise they seem like they're respectable people in the community, but they have this dark past to them, right? Um, but all that stuff is kind of washed away in. Uh, uh, naked women showing up at the lake for no real reason at all to get killed uh zombies coming up with makeup obviously painted on their faces the 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 worst zombie makeup i think i've ever seen <laughs> on film it, it's it's pretty bad yeah <laughs> yeah i mean where you can see there 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 are scenes where you could actually see uh basically the grease paint that they have on their faces get rubbed off while they're trying to uh drown women in in the lake um you see them come up taking breaths <laughs> from coming right. out of the lake. Uh, you see them walking around in the obvious swimming pool. Um, you see where they're not painted green at all, where they just have their usual normal colored flesh around their wrists and their necks and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it's very distracting. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm actually kind of mad that this film with so much enjoyable looking naked flesh and it made me kind of hate it (laughs) sure sure i don't know i i find it hard to you know i feel like this is one of those the the budget and the execution just don't work at all Mm -hmm. like uh you know i i definitely i kind of have started to get a uh a, a yardstick for this is does this look worse than doctor who episodes made in the same era and, and the answer for this is yes. Yes, it definitely does. Um, it definitely does. Um, you know, because, you know, obviously Doctor Who is a show, especially in, you know, 81, 82, mm-hmm. was being made on a shoestring budget, you know, basically out of cardboard. And yet, you know, they would have pulled off, you know, the the zombie makeup more effectively than, than this. Mm-hmm. Did. So, and um, they, they most likely would have had 
far better writing going on. <laughs> oh no, no, absolutely. That that that's true. I don't, I don't know. I I I kind of you know when I watch something like this, I want there to be some kind of hook for me. I mm-hmm. want there to be something that involves me that draws me in that gives me some um it's almost like i'm looking for reasons to like it you know um and i did find that kind of overarching story of the of the lake in the middle of the town that you know the the kind of buried uh not sins of the of the nazis or sins of the the town destroying the nazis and that sort of thing um i found that that was enough to kind of get me through this Mm -hmm. and um Again, I have enough of a an appreciation for the kind of softcore porn of it that uh, I was I was kind of fine watching it um, when it kind of devolved into and now we have bad looking zombies wandering around aimlessly. <laughs> that was the point at which I was uh, I was pretty much like, yeah, I'm ready to turn this off now. I don't care anymore. Yeah, because um, but the look... last the last three minutes are actually pretty impressive. I will say, you know, <laughs> the, the flaming zombies. Yeah, because you look at the scene where they're fighting the townspeople are fighting the zombies in the town and that big group of zombies walks up and all the townspeople come up with their guns and start shooting them they couldn't afford squibs they couldn't afford anything so that you you see no bullets you see no uh, deflection from bullets hitting walls or anything like that um and then you see other scenes where it's just obvious they didn't have time to film more coverage of the scene so you have uh i think it's the first attack actually where the zombie um comes out of the lake into the town and grabs that one girl um he starts biting on her and basically the camera lingers on him not even really you know he's 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 obviously not biting like the actor is basically just giving a hickey to this girl with ketchup in between or something along those lines on on her neck and stuff like that just kind of it it destroys my suspension of disbelief to the sure. point to the point where it's like um can we go back to the naked volleyball team now? Or yeah, yeah. Why? Why are we? Why? Why is that not this movie? Mm. Um, I, I really kind of want to. You know, we're doing, uh, you know, zombie horror movies. You know, mm. right now, I kind of now want to do a a month of uh, titty flicks. You know. <laughs> oh, we could do that too. Definitely. Yeah. Um, no, uh, I would have very uh, insightful things to say about, uh, you know, Russ Meyer flicks or something like. Oh, that. Oh, Russ so, Meyer would so be good to go for. Yeah. Um, or just like the 80s stuff that I grew up with. I, I'm going to see if I can find some of those old movies that I used to watch on Netflix and, uh, you know, some force you to watch those. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I've I've probably seen as many of them as you have um, because, I mean, a lot of that stuff was uh, Canadian tax shelter productions, right? Um, sure. In fact, tons of them were. I mean, they they kept making those sort of films up until, I think, like, the very early 90s i think the last couple of them were like ski school and stuff like that where they were you know the tax tax shelter sexploitation titty comedy films um right yeah but uh i, I guess um i guess when we wrap up on this this film uh zombie lake i honestly i it, it just bores the fuck out of me that's the problem with the film i mean the elements themselves aren't enough to make me hate it it's just the fact that everything all put together it just bores me and i hate saying it because i mean you know there's a lot of good looking women in it and it's kind of stupid and enjoyable in that way but um overall just bores the fuck out of me 
Yeah, I, I think I, I like it a little bit more than you. I mean, I'm not going to recommend this, but <laughs> I do think that there's enough of a kind of like hook in terms of the concept of the the kind of buried sins of the past sort of thing mm-hmm. that like if you are bored enough on a Thursday night or something and, you know, it might be worth watching. I, I've definitely seen worse than this. Um, I've seen more pointless than this. Um, this This feels like there's... There's at least some core of something there, um, and it does have some uh, some very uh, bounteous flesh, which I appreciate mm-hmm. in the in the uh, very respectful and uh, humanistic way that I do. <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, the last three minutes, if nothing else, just just pull it up on Netflix and watch the last three minutes, and watch a bunch of people, a bunch of stuntmen burn, and actually, like, there's some good burning zombie performance there. I was uh, definitely. Uh, appreciative of that as well so watch that yeah um all right uh thanks to everyone who uh was listening uh, if you have comments and questions um there will be a little uh thing I, I recorded at the end now where you can find out where to find us um anything else uh, you want to plug though daniel before we uh leave here um just the podcast that's not mm-hmm. in the uh, it, it is in it but just remind the people of your other podcasts. sure i will remind them of something they're going to listen to in a minute right exactly yeah um oi spaceman podcast that's oi spaceman.libsen.com where my wife and i talk about doctor who mm-hmm. so uh classic and new series so check it out if you were a doctor who fan and lee will be on that podcast very soon now we're getting to the third doctor era so it's mm-hmm. awesome yeah um, so yeah, uh, you'll, you'll listen to the little trailer we have at the end here and, um, you'll get all that information. You find all of our links, you can find Paul's links and all that shit. And that's good. Um, I didn't really have anything in mind for music wise to go out on. I don't know if there's anything you want to pick. It doesn't necessarily have to be thematically related. <laughs> I feel like every episode of this podcast is just in with an Ennio Morricone score. If we don't have anything else, that's just sort of how I feel about this podcast. I don't know. Oh, that's, that's uh, you know. Well, that's good. We could end on something good from Europe instead of something shitty from Europe, like the movie we just talked about. So sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'll just I'll just plop something on there. Uh, next uh, next episode, Daniel and I record. Uh, we'll be doing Oasis of the Zombies, and then. From then, <laughs> oh sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, I, and I only chose Oasis of the Zombies because there is a connection between that film and this film that we just did, uh, other than Nazi zombies. Um, and after that, I don't know what we're going to be doing next. I, I kind of is it uh, is it big handlebar mustaches? No, that's not even that. Okay, I don't okay. think. Um, but I I do want to do uh, shockwaves. Um, hope I'm hoping that I can get both you and Paul together to do shockwaves, um, which I think is, it's my personal favorite Nazi zombie film. And I'm, I'm thinking about doing the, uh, the dead snow films and, um, maybe there's one or two others, it's a very, very small genre. So it shouldn't be too hard for us to grab a couple of films out of it and find something, figure something out. So awesome. Yeah. I will, I will do my best to, uh, be more available for this podcast. So I apologize. All right. Uh, Okay, thanks, guys. Uh, Thanks, Daniel, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Cheers.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For our other episodes, links to Daniel, Paul, and Lee's other stuff, and links to some great podcasts of similar interest, visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can leave us comments on the site or directly email us. We listen and respond to everything. Thank you. Drive through.